Well, today, Christmas has been so commercialized that we almost seem to have forgotten why Jesus really came to earth. Um, I was a little bit aggravated that uh, my favorite, one of my favorite seasons uh, that we celebrate is Thanksgiving. But it seemed like it went all the way from Halloween, which I really don't give a flip about, to Christmas in the aisles. And we thought, wait a minute, we forgot about Thanksgiving here. And all Christmas has become is an opportunity to sell and to you know, get and to accumulate. And really, we love giving gifts, but really, is that the reason why Christ came to earth? Is it really about getting more things? Well, this morning, I'd like to remind us of at least four reasons Jesus came to earth. And I trust that these reminders will serve us as prompters, really, to share the gospel and the reason for the season uh, this year. So as we look at God's word, we're going to look at at least four reasons. And uh, really, let's think about that in terms of as we meet people, as we greet people, as we wish Merry Christmas to people, those, and those around us, let's think about why Christ really came. First of all, let's look to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be here in church. And Lord, just to be able to celebrate and to sing and to worship you, and to Lord, concentrate on what you have for us this day. And I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, uh, challenge us from your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first reason that I want to look at this morning is actually twofold, and it's found in Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 42 through 45. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 10. I want to read verses 42 through 45. It says this, Jesus called them over and said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and the men of high positions exercise power over them, but it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. But right away in those verses, we find some interesting truths that maybe sometimes we don't contemplate. And the first one is this is that there are people around us who want to have places of position, places of authority, places of power. And that's true. I mean, we've all have been in a workplace. We've seen that. We've, we've watched that uh, unfold in different circumstances of life. There are always those that want the position and the authority. And they want to be the ones in charge. But Jesus Christ said, wait a minute, that's not why I came to this earth. He says, that really, if you want a place of prominence, if you want a place of position and authority, he said, he who would be greatest must first be what? Servant of all. So it's the very first thing that we see here about Jesus Christ is he says, he came to serve. Let me ask you a question. How do we serve those around us? I mean, we live in a culture really that we are served. I mean, that's why we have fast food, so people can serve us. We go to the restaurant so people can serve us. You know, some of us, men, we get married so our wives will serve us. Wrong reason, by the way. Um, but it's true nonetheless. We are people who love to be served. Is that not true in our lives? We love to be served. But Jesus Christ came and says so that I could not be served, but to serve others. In fact, it may seem kind of trite, but there's no greater example of someone who served other than Jesus Christ himself. In fact, if you turn back just a page here in Mark chapter 9, verse 35, it says this. Mark 9 and verse 35. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Servant. That kind of goes against the cultural grain, doesn't it? 
Um, and then in Philippians chapter 2, we see the greatest example of not only humility, but servitude all the, 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 of any place found in the Scriptures. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. He says, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he has come as a man, he, in his eternal form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here is God in flesh, Jesus Christ, Son of God, leaving the splendor of heaven to come down to earth, not to be the king of earth, which is what really people wanted him to be, but to be a servant. And he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And he became a slave, if you will, to those around him. He made himself subject to those around him. He deserved to be the king, but he made himself subject. But not only that, it also says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, to not only give his, but the servant to give his life, but also to give his life a ransom for many. So we see that he came to be a servant, but he also came to be a ransom. Now, if you've ever watched any of the movies about uh, you know, someone getting kidnapped and then the hero comes on the scene and rescues, you know, they're gonna, you know, they want a ransom for you know, the child or a ransom for the mother or a ransom for this person to get them back. You see, the problem with you and I is that we were born into this world as sinners, right? There is none that doeth good, God's word tells us. In and of ourselves, we are not good people. Our sinful nature stems out from us. And because of that, Jesus Christ says, you are born with a sin debt, and I must pay a price for that sin. So to be ransomed means that Jesus Christ paid a price for our redemption so that we could be redeemed unto himself. He had to pay a price. And that was the second reason he came. So not only to live his life as a servant but to pay a ransom because we had a debt we could not pay. And God's word is very clear about that. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, it gives us a principle really that we don't like to think about a whole lot because it goes against our culture. It goes against what we believe as Americans because as Americans, we have freedom to do whatever we want because that's our state that we live in. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says this, don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have of God? You are not your... Wait a minute. I belong to me. I can do whatever I want with my life, right? But that's on contrary to what Jesus Christ says. He says, you're not your own. In fact, not only are you not your own, it says in verse 20, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your bodies. He said, I bought you. How did he do that? With his blood on the cross of Calvary. And because he shed his blood, he paid the ransom price, which is why he came to earth. Because we had a debt we could not pay. So he paid a debt he did not owe, so that we might be redeemed to himself. In Galatians, just over a few pages, another uh, great principle here in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. says this, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, there's that word again, those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into his heart's crying, Abba, Father. So here's the thing, once again, he says, I sent my son to be born of a woman, 
to redeem you to myself. And one more passage that really talks nicely about this is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. It says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus himself, human, who gave himself, here it is, a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. So Jesus Christ came not only to serve, but to give his life a ransom. And here's the interesting thing. If we look back in our text in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 and 43, we kind of looked over it just for a moment. But let's go back to it just for a moment. Jesus called them over and said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles dominate them and their men of high positions, exercise power over them, but it must not be like that among you. So he was servant of all. He made a slave to those around him. How best to give, portray the love of God other than serving them? And as you serve the world around us, which, once again, is contrary to our nature as humans, we live to be served. But when we serve others, it kind of opens up a door of conversation. Like, why are you doing this? This is not normal. This is not what is expected. In the last couple of years, as we opened up our soccer field to the community, one of the guys asked me, he says, why are you doing this? And you're not going to charge us? Why? Because we want to serve our community. We want to just be a blessing to you. Because the world expects that when we do something, we're going to get paid for it. Now, let me just bring a caveat on it. There are businesses that we have to make a living at because that's how we provide for our families. But I'm talking about just everyday life. How do we serve those around us? But when we do, it opens up a door of conversation. And as we do that, God begins to open up a door of conversation that helps us turn the, turn the message towards the gospel. Can you imagine Jesus Christ leaving the splendor of heaven, taking on the limitations of the flesh? Think about that for a moment. If you were in a perfect environment where everything was just in your mind perfect, why would you leave that? That's crazy. It's not normal. And yet that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He left heaven. That's perfect. I mean... Fill in your mind what's perfect. He left that to come down to earth where it's not perfect. Right? Look around us. There's struggles, there's trials, there's difficulties, there's situations that we wouldn't choose. It's not perfect. And yet he came to this earth to be a servant and to give his life a ransom. So not only that, but as an example, portray what it means to be a servant and then to pay the price. But not only that, we see another reason in Luke chapter 5. So if you would turn your Bible over to Luke chapter 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 5. And I want to read verses 31 and 32. In verse 31, Jesus replied to them, The healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Another reason that Jesus Christ left the splendor of heaven to come down to this earth, born as a baby, to grow up as a man, was to call sinners to repentance. But you notice how he did this? You know, I was just talking with someone yesterday, and they said, you know, I've known a lot of Christians, and some of them are really kind of weird. Anybody know some weird Christians? I do. I know a few. <laughs> They're kind of Christians when it's convenient, and when it's not convenient, when they want to push their point across you, they kind of really make that known as well. I've known some weird ones. 
But you know how Jesus Christ did this? He tells us right there in the passage. If you go back just two verses, verse 29, he says this. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus sat with sinners. Imagine that. Jesus made himself available to those who were not like himself. You want to impress the world around us? You want to really show the love of Christ? Be a friend. Sit with people you wouldn't normally sit with. Question, how can we expect an unsaved world who doesn't know Jesus Christ to come to the knowledge of Christ if we won't talk to them? If we won't spend a minute with them? If we won't make ourselves available to them in times of need, in times of stress, stress and difficulty? Folks, we have got to get out, uh, away from this idea that it's us four and no more. We've got to get away from the idea that we have it all together and the world has it all lost. The world needs to see a picture of Christ in action. The world needs to see true love. Not just, quote-unquote, hypothetical, pharisaical love, but real love. Not one thing on Sunday because you're at church and something completely different on Monday when you're at work. They need to see consistency in following Christ. And here's Jesus being condemned, being scorned, being ridiculed because he was what? Sitting with tax collectors and their guests and sinners. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you've really just sat down with people who aren't from church, quote unquote? When's the last time you talked to someone who wasn't also a follower of Christ so that you might show them the love of God? You see, the way Jesus Christ portrayed it in this passage is that he called sinners to repentance, but he had to be with the sinners before he could do it. He was with them. How often do we make ourselves available? You know, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, We are born with a sin sickness from which we desperately need healing. But here's the thing in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, For the wages or the due recompense or the what you deserve because of your sin is death, right? That's what he says. Eternal separation from God. But here's the gift. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He came to offer a gift of salvation. Here's the thing about God's gift. It doesn't run out. It's available. How many of you have a budget to spend on Christmas gifts this year? <laughs> right? Some of you are like, as little as possible, i got 74 grandkids. No. 50 cents each. No, no. Some of you are like, man, i got the one and only perfect child, and I'm giving them everything. You know? No. But we have a budget. There's a limit, right? But see, God's love never runs out. You can't earn any more of it today than you did yesterday. There's nothing more tomorrow that you can do that you didn't do today to get more of it. Isn't that awesome? And though we were sinners, Christ died for us. And he came to call sinners to repentance. The very fact that he came to do that means that we need it. Every one of us. There's not a one of us in this room this morning that hasn't made it. 
you're just so good that you get to heaven, you get to bypass the sin state. No. We're all sinners. We all deserve hell. But God in his love offered us the gift of salvation. There's another reason that Jesus Christ left the splendor of heaven to come to earth. And it's found in John chapter 12. So if you would turn your Bible over to John chapter 12. And I want to read verses 44 through 46. In verse 44, Jesus cried out, The one who believes in me believes not in me. Or the one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light to the world, so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. What's he saying here? We live in a very dark place. Is that not true? How many times do you turn the TV on in the morning and you find out, man, there have been three more shootings? And that's just in our time. And then you multiply that across cities across New York and then cities across the United States. Because people are selfish and sinful and fleshly. We want our way and we get angry, so what's the answer? Pfft. No big deal. We live in a dark world. We live in a world that is selfish and, and sinfully motivated. He doesn't just talk about that as far as a physical, but a, but a spiritual darkness, a spiritual oppression that is around the world. And Jesus cried out, the one who believes in me, not, not, not me, but in him who sent me, and the one who sees him who sent me, I have come as a light to the world so that everyone who believes would not continue in darkness. He came that you may have light. And he says, I am the light of the world. So the dark times that we live in today, it wasn't much different than when Christ walked this earth. There were sinful people then too. In fact, turn your Bibles back just a couple chapters to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 verse 19 says this. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You've heard the verse before, right? Some people like their sinfulness. Some people love to stay in darkness. And he says, that's why I've come to be the light. But some people didn't want it. And there are those who don't want Jesus Christ. I can remember many years ago witnessing to a, fam a man who lived in my neighborhood, and I witnessed him numerous times. And he says, Ken, that's great for you. It's great for those so-and-so. It's great for so-and-so over there. He goes, but I don't want it. I just don't want it. He wanted to stay in darkness. He wanted not to know the truth. See, if I know the truth, then I'm accountable to do something with what I've heard and learned. And he didn't want it. And Jesus Christ says, I'm come that you may have light. But not only that, in John chapter 1, first five verses, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in Him, and that life was the light of men. In verse 5, that light shines in darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. <coughs> Here's the thing. How many of us have ever been in a dark cave? You ever been in a dark cave? I remember when we went on our honeymoon, we, we spent some time in the Ozarks, and they have some caverns down there, and they're really neat. But it's amazing, as we went down under the earth, and we're down in that deep cavern, also, just for a moment, the tour guide says, I'm going to shut the lights off. 
and boom, just pitch black. And because of the dampness, it's almost eerie. You can, you know, you can put your hand right here and you can't even see it, but you know it's there because you feel your breath hitting it, but it's just pitch black. And in every crowd, there's got to be one who what? Flicks their bick. You know, you got to get the light turned on, right? But here's the thing. One little light, just one, lighted, lit up that entire cavern. There's no amount of darkness that is just so dark, the light won't work. And that's what Jesus Christ came to be in this world. A light. He says, I am the light of the world. Look at verse 5 one more time. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. What's he saying here? That light is so bright. Just that one little light, it changes everything. And Jesus Christ is that light. One more in John chapter 9. He really talks about the moral darkness that is all around us. We've all seen it. We've experienced it. But 9 verse 39, he says, Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. There's a moral darkness. They said they need to see the light. Folks, we live in a day and an age when people need to see the light. Selfishness abounds. Sinfulness abounds. What's the cure? The light of Jesus Christ. So he didn't just come to this world to be born of a virgin on Christmas Day so that we can celebrate Santa Claus and everything else. He came for the purpose of being light in a dark world. And then one more I want to close with. To offer salvation from eternal judgment and salvation to all who would believe. If you would turn your Bible to John chapter 3, one of the most familiar passages in all the Bible. If you've ever grown up in church at any point in your life, you've probably heard these verses before. John chapter 3, and I want to start with verses 17 and 18. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Apart from Jesus coming to earth, all of mankind would face his eternal wrath. We all would spend eternity in hell. It would be so awesome to be able to stand up here today and say, wow, everyone's going to live a nice, happy, wonderful, I mean, incredible life, and then we're all going to die and we're all going to go to heaven. Wouldn't that be awesome? I don't have that authority, and if I did, it's not what God's Word says. In fact, God's Word makes it very clear. He says, in that day, there are going to be those who said, well, hey, I, I, hey, I cast out demons in your name. I did some really good things for some good people. And Jesus Christ is going to look at them and say, what? Depart from me, for I never knew you. And we talked about that idea behind knowing versus knowing if I ask you the question, how many of you know Donald Trump? Raise your hand. Right. Nobody raised Why aren't you raising your hand? Oh, okay. One person knows Donald Trump. Great. Let me ask you a question. If we were to all raise our hand and say, wow, you know, um, I know Donald Trump, I'd ask this question. Do you get to email him and he responds? Do you pick up your cell phone and say, hey, I'm going to, hold on a second, I'm just going to give Donald a little call here. Hey, Donald, what's up? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Can you believe what Hillary said about you this last week? Crazy. Right? We don't know Donald Trump that way, do we? 
It's not like we can pick up our phones, call his house. It's not like we can go talk to his kids. It's not like we can go over to the house, because that's not going to happen. See, we don't know Donald Trump. We know a lot about Donald Trump. I mean, there's books written about Donald Trump, right? We can read all kinds of facts and circumstances and how much money he's worth and how many buildings he's built and how many employees he has. And we know all about Donald Trump, but we don't really know Donald Trump, do we? Because all knowledge of knowing somebody is based on what? Relationship. And relationship is based off communication. You've heard me say that numerous times. But sadly, too many Christians look at knowing Jesus in the same way. I know Jesus. If that's true, then we have a relationship with him. And if that's true, we communicate with him. He talks to us, and we talk to him. And only when there's two-way communication can there be a decent relationship. Guys, how does it go with your wives when you don't communicate? Because we often know that women go, and the men just go, right? Truth. But only when there is two-way communication, both a giving and receiving of information, giving, Receiving, there's two-way communication taking place, can there be a strong relationship? If there's not much relation, communication, there's not a very strong relationship. It's true in every relationship of life. Whether it's a co-worker, whether it's an employee-employer relationship, whether it's a sibling relationship, whether it's you know friendship relationship, relationships are based off communication. And when there's lots of communication, the relationship is usually strong. But when there's zero relation, communication, there's very weak relationship. So let's put that in the context of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to this earth that we might have a relationship with him. Do you have one? Do you know him? Does he know you? Are you communicating with him? You're he's talking to you through his word, and we're talking things back to him, and we have that relationship going on. See, for God did not send his Son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world through him might believe, be saved through him. But here's how he did it. Roman, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's where it's at. That's how the relationship has started. That's how the communication begins is by calling on him to be our savior. I wish, once again, I could stand up here and say everyone's going to go to heaven. But that's not the case. In fact, a lot of people have been taught, maybe even believe that if I'm just a good person, I mean, relatively speaking, I'm a good person. And I just help people. And I do this for people, and I do that for people, and I'm always there for them, and I just do these things that makes me a good person, and therefore I'm going to go to heaven. That would be awesome. But it wouldn't be truth. Because in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, if I'm good enough to make make my own way, if I'm good enough that I can just earn my own way, then what did Jesus Christ have to die on a cross for? 
No reason. That's all a waste of time and pain. But God's word makes it clear that I can't do that. So I must look back to the reason he came down to this earth. Is to call sinners to repentance. To pay a price for the sin debt that we had that we couldn't pay. To offer salvation to those who are lost and dying to go into hell. And then to live his life as a servant. To serve those around him. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrated his love toward us, and now while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price. And Christmas, it's not about the gifts. It's about the gift, the most important gift that he gave through his son Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's the reason for the season, right? I mean, it's wonderful, the gifts. I mean, I don't think there's anybody here that says, no, I hate gifts. I don't want any. Don't, don't worry about it. We love gifts. But the greatest gift we could give is the love of Jesus Christ. To both receive it from him and to share it with others this season. That's the reason. And I found in my life that when, because of Christ, it has made a huge difference in my life. And just trust me, making, being a Christian doesn't make me perfect. Just ask my wife and kids. They'll tell you all about that. Actually, don't like don't ask them because I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want them to tell my all my flaws. No, we're we're sinners in need of a savior, and I found that knowing Jesus Christ doesn't make me perfect, but I found that it does give me somebody that I can go to in my times of struggle, my times of trials and temptations. I have somebody that I can walk through life with that cares about me more than anyone else more than anything else. I have Jesus. And he goes with me everywhere I go. He lives within me as his child. I hope you know him that way. Not just like people saying they know Donald Trump. No, you know about him. There's a lot of people that know about Jesus. But do you truly know him in here? Is he in your heart because you've confessed your sins and called on him to be your savior and trust in his finished work on the cross? That's where it starts. Let's pray.